0: Welcome to another episode of the Destination Linux
1: podcast. Welcome to episode 87 of Destination Linux. This is a podcast of opinions made up of three allegedly semi-intelligent guys discussing our love for Linux. I'm Zeb, and with me today is Michael. How are you, Michael? Pretty good, thank you. Good, good, good. And Ryan... Welcome, birthday boy.
0: Yeah, it's my birthday
2: and I let the presents
0: rain. <laughs>
1: Great. We'll find out about some of those later on. So, Michael, what have you been up to this week?
2: So, I've been doing quite a few things. I've been trying to like, streamline the process of just doing the show and re- recording and everything like that. And I also went to do a, a, a repeat of that Linux user group I talked about a couple of episodes ago. And this time, happy to, to announce that there were multiple people who were using it on their desktop so that's that's a big wow
0: linux people using linux i know
2: i know right it was great um and there's a lot there's a lot more people who showed up this time too as well as like rsvp and everything so it's uh it's kind of getting like picking up a little bit but the as far as like the streamlining thing i got this new keyboard that is so cool it looks it looks nice too but it like this is like a macro keyboard so yeah. I can switch stuff just by hitting one key at a time and then I, and I can transition to the thing. So they, unless it
1: was a bad angle, there's no letters on them.
2: Oh, no, no, there's no letters in general that, at all.
1: Yeah. You have to use your memory.
2: That's it's like just, a- yeah. I'm just remembering where everything is. Yeah. So, um,
0: but you could print your own key yeah, you stickers can for
2: own. it, and it also came with some different colored keys that you yeah. could put on. It came with like a couple, uh-huh. like not a lot, but a couple different color keys. So you could do that if you wanted to, um, or just take a marker and draw on it like whatever you want. Like, uh, <laughs> so that you could do that. So there's options. Uh, I'm okay mm-hmm. with it being blank, though. So like, my regular keyboard's also blank, so it doesn't really matter. Um, so let's
1: uh, just to get this straight. You've got this new keyboard that does all these macros, Uh-huh. and Two full-size keyboards that you do macros on the second one.
2: Well, I mean that that would be excessive, and I totally understand where where you're going. And right. I decided to replace the second keyboard with mm-hmm. this new keyboard because this new ah, keyboard smaller. Yeah, it's smaller. It's more it's more compact in the sense I can sit I can sit them right beside each other, but it has a lot of keys. Now, what's really cool is there are 48 keys on this keyboard.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: this key right here is Which actually our
0: listeners can't see, but it's just a key at the top
2: right okay the the audio sorry uh this key on the like basically on the corner is a profile key so there's 48 but technically this takes up one but then it goes from 48 to 47 and then it switches between four profiles so i have 188 keys on this one thing
0: oh so you keep wow. clicking the profile button and it can switch between different yep. profiles like a full set four. Very nice, man. Very nice. So a lot of people utilize these secondary keyboards. For Michael's using it for OBS to switch screens mm-hmm. and all of those type of things, which makes it much easier having the key bindings, much like an i3 user would experience. And uh, other people utilize them for gaming and things. So you could also have a keypad off to the side if you're big into gaming, and you could use those keys as macro keys that do a yep. combination of things while you're gaming. So it's actually really... Awesome to have a secondary keyboard, and I'm jealous of it. And we'll be ordering one myself, uh, probably so, here shortly.
1: Can we program one of them to say, "Make Rocco miss"? <laughs>
2: yes, we'll with tr- sniper, I'll try yeah. to. I, I can make a program where I'm, it's constantly crouching, just annoy him.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that it. sounds like you've had a you've had a blast. So Ryan, apart from opening all your prezzies, what have you been up to this week?
0: Well, listen, um, I. I've been our Telegram group has been blown up with people joining Team Red, which makes me so happy the, that they're leaving Team Green for Team Red. So I I feel very successful there. But another thing is happening that I had I didn't expect, and that is a lot of people in our Telegram group talking about moving to i3. Ooh. So I figured as the i3 prodigy, it's very important for me <laughs> to kind of get back in there and retake my throne. So I installed i3 on Fedora. <clears throat> set up a bunch of configurations with it, getting rid of screen tearing that can happen because if you don't have a composite manager and all that type of stuff, Mm -hmm. all of that is done in the configuration files, uploaded on Git and available in the Fedora install script. So now you can install i3 using the simple GUI uh, and checking you want to install i3. It'll install all the programs in there. It'll create your Compton files, all of that. So I'm still working on it. There's a little more work there. If somebody wants to help in, they sure can get out there on Git and add code to it. But right now it's working pretty well because right before this show, like an extreme distro hop, I installed my script on my desktop because I wrote it on my Dell and I'm here doing the show recording with all my screens where they're supposed to be. But here's the killer that I think is going to get you, Zeb. Instead of utilizing some weird paneling that people have, you have to go in there like i3 blocks or something and configure Mm -hmm. specific, this uses the XFCE paneling which wow. means you get the whisker menu, you get the full GUI applets, and everything available for XFCE, which is really cool because if you're not in the mood to do your key bindings and you just want to sit there with your mouse, you can do that with this setup. and Or you can, of course, do all of your normal i3 bindings setup. So it kind of gives you the best of both worlds in a mm-hmm. way, utilizing XFCE paneling but having all the i3 shortcuts, workspaces, and all of that available. So pretty cool stuff.
1: Nice, nice. Yeah so i just think i need to explain to some of the viewers why i had that really silly grin when he was talking about i3 there it's just that in england sitting on the throne has a completely different (laughs) that is the throne i'm talking about (laughs) it's the same it's the same yeah it's the same um i get away with it this week because i'm the host so michael what emails have we had in
2: uh, so we have quite a few uh, e- emails this time, and it's quite long, so I would like to pass it off to Ryan so he can take control over this
0: yeah, one. Yeah, because otherwise Mike will read the whole thing and we'll be sitting here forever. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm very
2: long-winded. But so. <laughs> it's a
0: super nice email. We asked our community, you know, how do you use Linux? We got an email back from Joe. Joe is from Germany, so he already has a special place in my heart right off the bat there. Uh, And he tells us his story here. First, he says, let me thank you for the energy you all put into the show, Linux, OSS, and the community. You guys really do so much awesome and important work, and he enjoys every show, so thank you so much for that. We love getting that kind of feedback. And I love how he said here, as Zeb demanded in one of the last shows... (laughs) See, everyone's scared of Zeb. He's got that baton thing going on, I'm telling you. Uh, As Zeb demanded, I want to tell you a little bit about his story. So he's been using Linux since 2007, started out with Ubuntu like so many. Um, One thing that's really interesting is he works in computer forensics, and he's done that for 12 years now and has found that Linux has an extraordinarily great uh, work structure for forensics in his work life and his private life. He's also a photographer, so we can add him to the list of our photographers in our Telegram group that use Linux, which is awesome. Does lots of audio recording, songwriting, and uh, things like that, which I think is amazing. He does web design using Atom, Firefox, and FileZilla. Michael, that should make you happy. Firefox, All of those for programs, sure. in fact. He's gaming. Um, so he talks about gaming and some of his favorite games that he has. So uh, in his 10 years of Linux... Uh, that he switched to. He's gone through tons of different distributions. He talks about Debian Stable, XFCE for five years. He's kind of done the distro hopper thing. But what I think is really interesting overall about his story is how he was able to incorporate all of his passions from photography, audio recording, his actual job, and his personal computing, all gaming and everything all into the Linux family infrastructure. And that's the story of Linux today. Right? I don't think probably 10 years ago that would be a normal story with Linux. Um, this is just my thought and based on what you guys have said, but now you can do anything in Linux professionally or even as a hobby, and it just fits and works, and there's so many applications and things you can do to get that done. So awesome email from Joe. Thank you so much, and send our love to all of our fans out there to Germany for us.
1: Excellent. Yeah, he's certainly up to a lot and doing it all on Linux, which is brilliant. Yep. So let's move on to the distro news. Um, so the first article we've got for you this week is, and I'll try not to yawn, um, Linux from scratch 8.3 <laughs> not to has, has been released. Now, it always amazes me. I used to get quite excited when I saw the reviews and the, um, you know, the mails coming through that there's a new <laughs> Linux from scratch. And then I just remembered, it's just a book. They don't actually provide you with a Linux that you can install on your system. Yeah. You have to methodically and meticulously, and it will probably take me about four months to <laughs> install Linux from scratch. Uh, now, they talk about some very important um, changes in here, including updating Glee C tools.
0: You don't, G- seem, you don't seem You don't see super G- exciting there, Zeb.
1: Because I haven't got a Scooby Doo. What they're on <laughs> about? Just, I'm going to have to ask Michael.
2: The Scooby Doo.
1: What is a glib c two point two eight, and why is it good?
2: Glib c is the C library that is kind of like the fundamental piece of a lot of you know using the like this like a new library for. C. So that if you wanted to use a software that is C-based, you'd use this typically. Like it's not requirement, but most distros do conclude. it. So do
1: they have a Glib A and a Glib B? No. It's <laughs> oh, okay. not that type of A B C then. So, no. so
0: you see C language, so therefore Glib C. Right. No, then, yeah. ah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so I mean, I think this is interesting because I've this is one it, I've tackled Arch, I've tackled Gentoo. This is the one that kind of sits there. You know, as the giant mountain left in Linux for me to climb, there's always a mountain in Linux for a climb, but this is a big one. The little feather you could put in your cap to say you've tackled Linux from scratch. The people who do this generally, I would think, are people interested maybe in creating their own distro, because I'm assuming you would learn a ton of what goes into that by building this. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two, I think it's for people who just want to understand more of what's going on behind the scenes with Linux. And so while it's one of those things that, yeah, I'm going to need a month's vacation to pull off, probably, it's still on my bucket list of Linux things because I think after conquering it, I would learn a lot about Linux. The question is, could I actually conquer it uh, and not get so stuck that you waste you know 20 hours and get to a point where you can't overcome it? But I'm sure there's plenty of people out there in the community that can help you out. I think yeah. the people who put this together are really awesome because they give somebody an amazing training platform even if it's something you're like eh, i'm never going to touch it i have no plans to mm-hmm. um in fact michael you have tackled this mountain
2: yes it took a very long time and i was if someone wanted to do this i would suggest they do it in like a virtual machine for like the first time they try it just so they can pause it and do like a snapshot of it and then go back and you know just continue that way they can Instead of taking a, an extreme amount of time in one bit, you could make you could extend the amount of time it takes, but it, you do it in like spare time kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So overall, if you were to do it like super, like trying to do it like straight in and you know as much time as possible, uh, you're probably still going to take a, at least uh, like a month. Now, mm-hmm. how much more difficult is this than Gen Two? Um, as far as, like it depends on like the person who's doing it, but a lot. So. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So you're looking at like maybe a week for the first time you ever do Gentoo, and at least a month for the first time you ever do LFS. And um, it's it, so that's, that's just the, to get the system booted. Like you, if you, once you get that, you still have to go and add like your visual, like your GUI stuff, like the DEs and things like that. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's 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 quite a so you lot. But you actually, will learn being a lot. the
0: most challenging part of Gentoo in my experience was the GUI portion. Like getting Gentoo installed and set up was fine. -hmm. Getting a GUI on top of it. Now that was something. Yeah.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, Depending on which one you use, in fact, it's even it could be worse because like some DEs are not uh, as up to date in Gentoo and stuff like that. So like some of the dependencies aren't there. And like for example, Gnome requires System D, so it took a while for them to get that Mm -hmm. that to work. So that that kind of thing happens.
1: So here's a question for you: Is I mean I don't read the arch wiki because i'm not that technically minded but is linux from scratch book as good a resource of information as the arch wiki is because everybody raves about the arch wiki being a great source of information
2: Mm. yes and no it's it's it if you want to learn like the the absolute bare bones stuff and like fundamental features yes it's fantastic it provides a lot of benefits um, but if you want to look at it as a reference point to go back and forth between, like, you know, searching for solutions for a particular problem, not so much. Like, it's more mm-hmm. of a guide to understand, like, the, the core stuff. Gotcha. Yeah,
0: I think it has a different purpose. I think it's it's brilliantly written, right? I, I would even say masterfully written what they've done here because you're taking extraordinarily complex procedures and you're breaking it down to help people not only understand it's not just a matter of just putting in the command and moving forward but what that command is doing while they're teaching you that piece and i think Mm -hmm. that takes a ton of mastery and writing to pull off then they also wrote the beyond uh linux from scratch as well so beyond linux from scratch kind of says okay now you've got linux from scratch installed what now So you've got that piece on top of it, which features like a thousand additional packages to install into it. So Mm -hmm. Bruce Dubs here gives thanks to many contributors on the page on this 8.3 release. And I love giving shout outs to these brilliant people. Douglas Reno, DJ Lucas, Ken Moffitt, Thomas Treppel. Pierre Labasti and Tim Tosanis. And if I butchered your name, I apologize, but I respect your trying out there because (laughs) we respect your contributions and everything you do in here. And it is one of those things one day I will tackle. So I think it's awesome. It's not for everybody, but it's kind of a neat thing that's out there that they keep adding to to keep it current. So new generations of people can go out there and who knows, the next desktop environment or next uh, distro may be built. From somebody who started from linux from scratch
1: well when i get past the preface i'll certainly let you know
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's what i generally do i open up the preface and like yeah i'll move this to another day but there Mm -hmm. is something that's a little easier for you to install if you want to try out called kos and they have a new stable release out there now this is a distro that's inspired by arch and offers kde so it's right up michael's alley he Mm -hmm. should just absolutely in love with this story they've done a massive update which is 70 percent of their packages have all been updated within this distro they have a new wizard called croeso and i may butchered that as well which is welcome croeso croeso yeah what michael said and (laughs) basically uh i i played with this they have some really neat things in there if you're an nvidia user You've got a non-free option right upon boot, similar to like Manjaro has. But I think the text that they use made it a little more clear that that's what it's for. The nice welcome screen is there right away to install packages, join their forums. I think that first impression is a really great thing. They had a beautiful wallpaper. They used the Falcon browser. It seemed Mm -hmm. to work fine. Um, the Croeso or however Michael's going to say it, that has a, that is really well done with widget theming, decorations, mouse icons, screen settings right there, all in one panel at your, your fingertips to get into. So if you are interested in a distro like this, this is a pretty cool one. Have you guys checked it out?
2: Yes, I have. It's I I, I've li- I really like a lot of features that they did. Like the Croso w- welcome screen is fantastic. Like there was a couple things that ever bothered me when I first, when every time I first use um, some like new distros, I'll have like one of the main things is like my monitor setup because of the types of ports that I use. My secondary monitor is always primary because it's seen by the motherboard first, and mm-hmm. then so my main my main monitor is always secondary. So I have to switch them. And by default, Plasma has this this cool idea of having to be able to like, you know, change the way your monitors and displays are set up, but it doesn't give you ability to switch that piece. So if you want to do the primary, secondary switch, you don't have that option. So <laughs> the fact that Croeso has that built into it, so you can go in and change the display monitors and just quickly switch it back and forth. It took me like 10 seconds to find it. It's, it was fantastic. So I... I mean, I already knew how to do it in the system settings, but the way that to prevent to present it to you like immediately, that's a great option. I would suggest that if they were going to do that, they should remove the default plasma thing because it just it's just redundant at that point. Uh, But there's a Mm. lot of cool stuff that Croso offers, and the I agree that the wallpaper was like beautiful when I when I first booted into it. There are some negatives though, but um, I think that so I made a comment
0: on one of the distros that I didn't like the car wallpaper that they use. It was like one of those pictures of a ferrari like when you were a kid or something and i remember one of the comments somebody said was it's just a wallpaper change it i get it it's just a wallpaper you can change it yeah but what i like here is seeing actual community work custom work on a custom distro to make it unique more Mm -hmm. than just going out on google or pixabay or whatever and finding a free image out there and making it part of the actual desktop environment. I love those things when you boot into it. And this one had what looked like a very well done. It was created by Jom- Jomada uh, wallpaper for them and it was it was just brilliant. I love seeing the community's mm-hmm. artwork there
2: versus just some
0: stock image.
2: Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a really it's really good. I mean like it also shows that there's a like a, a care to it and a polish to it. If you just mm-hmm. go to get you go to you know Google or duckduckgo, preferably duckduckgo and find an image for your wallpaper and that that just you can do that but it does it just conveys the message that that's what you did. If you Mm -hmm. did if you actually go through the process of making a good looking wallpaper it does give you a different experience of how much effort and polish they put into the distro.
1: Yep. Mm -hmm. Now I had high expectations when I tried chaos because I had heard a lot about it. I had heard that they're very strict in the type of things that can come into the repository. So it's very QT orientated. Um, so I booted it up, loaded it up, installed it. Great. Opened up the file manager. Why is everything on the right? <laughs> why is your file structure on the right and your files on the left, the panel on the right, I can forgive cause you can move that. But can you, cause I couldn't work out how to move it and I certainly couldn't work out how to get. So unless they've got some sort of like Chinese influence, why, Mess with something so obvious that you know we read left to right so therefore the it's like having your chap it would be like having opening up a book and the chapters to the book are at the back and then the, <laughs> the documents at the front well you need to look at the chapter so it just completely blew my mind so whilst it looked great i couldn't get past it, it was all on it was now, all back now it front. is
0: it is weird and it is jarring it's very very different uh it's k d e so you can change it of course but after you dig or you happen to know KDE you yeah, happen it's to, to know it's not like KDE yeah. it, which it's very simple you right click it you move it it's a little more um what technically advanced michael is that what you call it um it's a little it's no. a lot more difficult no to, i would call you,
2: it not intuitive at all
0: yeah That's there you go not it. intuitive <laughs> Um, uh, for doing stuff in KDE, unless you know it, if you know KDE, then it's two seconds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It It took me, it
2: took me about two seconds. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, if you don't know KDE, you're not going to naturally be able to figure out how to move things like XFC. So in in that case, it is jarring, but I knew right off the bat that that could change. So I guess I just kind of forgave it, but it was an odd choice to make. Mm.
2: I put it in the notes to say that it was a negative because it was awkward, and especially when I have the separation of the mod of the monitors, So I have to switch them back. So when the primary became the the other monitor, it meant that that panel was now in the middle of the two. So <laughs> it was, it was definitely awkward. So when I moved it over, like I had to move it over immediately because it, it, there is some, it's an issue. It's a weird decision, but also it's, I don't like the idea that everything is on that one panel because it made the clock at the very bottom super small. Mm. And not, it might as well not even be there. So, like, I, there's a couple things that I, I, think, like they do a lot of great ideas, but some of them is just like they're kind of hit and miss. At it's in certain cases.
1: Well, Michael, when you provide me with the chaosless respin, I'll give it another go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, that's good to know. Like, there's a couple things actually I do like about it that you could. Uh, uh, they, they have some interesting defaults, and a lot of them are <laughs> KDE right because that makes sense but they also had c file by default which I thought that was pretty cool um but anyway I'll, another distro we, we were talking about discussed this so anyway, I tried out uh personally was uh Nitrix Linux
0: and I loved this
2: yeah I think Nitrix is a very like very well polished distro and uh there's some things that I'll, I'll I'll bring back up as it might not be as polished but what did you, what did you think Ryan
0: I mean, I, I, I logged into this, and I was like, ooh, this is one of those ones where you, you play with it, and you're like, I could run this full-time. It was up until a certain point, okay? There's one thing that throws me off about this that honestly is not a big issue to overcome as an experienced Linux user, and it's really interesting. It makes it unique. But sometimes unique's not always the best thing in all cases. But before we get there, they use a Plasma desktop environment, Plasma mm-hmm. 5, but they put a ton of customization into it, into what they then reform into what they call the Nomad Desktop, right? Yep.
2: Yep. And were you familiar with this? Because I wasn't, Michael, before yeah. all of this. I used this before. Um, I, I tried it out a long time ago when they first announced that they were like the 1.0 when they announced it. I'm not sure if it was the first time they ever announced it. But when they announced the 1.0, I wanted to try it out because it was like, well, they, they claim to make, make Plasma better. So I wanted to see what that entails mm-hmm. and a lot of the things they did are good like they had some like some nice widgets they did some custom widgets that they did that like, i think they were really good they have the dock installed by default which is cool uh it looks really nice uh, i like the the full screen I like when you open the system tray it instead of covering like the small piece of your window it covers a full screen of it that's a that's an interesting thing because it makes it, it uh visually it looks fantastic functionally might be not so good because there's there's pieces at the very top and then there's also pieces at the very bottom. So you had to navigate like a lot of screen real estate. Yeah, just to get to I, it. I thought actually was a way
0: better implementation of plasma than standard plasma. I liked it nice. a lot. Um, I, the, they have, so first of all, it's based off Ubuntu. You get a later kernel, the 4.18.5 kernel. So you kind of get the cutting edge, you get the latest message drivers. So if you're on the latest video card, it's almost like, I don't know. I kind of, it, it even uses the calamari's installer so in a way mm-hmm. i kind of felt like there's a lot of arch influence here in this uh, distro cuz it's more cutting edge with mm-hmm. some of the kernels and the MESA drivers and everything else plus you're getting this beautiful desktop environment when mm-hmm. you low i mean is beautiful out of the box but it's the 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 changes that they made to it are absolutely gorgeous oh, beautiful yeah. boot up sequence really nice splash page it was very colorful icon set that reminded me of like pop os You know, Pop! OS is gorgeous, no matter if you love it functionally or not, it's gorgeous. Nobody can deny that. You got Latte Dock set up for you as your bottom panel. Um, Of course, you've got your normal standard uh, menu that you have there. Actually, the KDE menu is not standard. It is a customized version of the KDE menu that Mm. has a nice list of... It's kind of a hybrid in between the GNOME Splash, where it takes up your whole screen, and just having a normal file manager, it kind of incorporates both into a, what I would, I guess would be like a quarter screen box almost, Mm -hmm. um, which I thought was really well done. The weird thing with this is the app store. This is the thing that was a little strange. So this distro, as far as I can tell, is purely based off their store of app images only. So when you open the Mm -hmm. store, all you see is a bunch of brown boxes, the app image icon, uh, with the zipper in the middle, right? And you just see rows and rows of app images and underneath the little text of what the software is. So it's really unimpressive to go in there to the software store. And unless you know exactly what you're searching for, there's a search option. It's not very easy to navigate. There's no categories. There's really nothing there uh, to, that draws your attention anyways. And it's spent a ton of time into it. But that was a little odd. Now, of course, you could go and install everything you want in the terminal right so if you're a terminal user and you're not afraid to install packages that way it's great for a new user would not recommend it however i think this is something people should go
2: out and play with because it's pretty cool yeah definitely should play with it there's there are some issues that i found as well uh but i wanted to mention one thing that was really good that i liked and that's uh kde wallet is disabled thank you (laughs) (laughs) and uh that's that's a nice by default thing so uh, Mm -hmm. i just wanted to bring that out but uh, I, I agree that the, you what you're right it's very it's very beautiful like the the default makes me feel like it's a combination of plasma and elementary so mm, they feel comparison yeah it feels very similar in that in that structure um, and as far as like the the effort they put into making it look good and I think that it, the polish is more of the visuals, and then there's some, there's still some clunkiness, like you said, with the app images in the store. And I, there was one thing that I found in the store. Well, okay, there's one thing I didn't find in the store and wasn't installed by default, which was kind of odd considering they publish the software in app image as the default, and that's Caden Live. So Ooh. yeah, it wasn't even there. So I had to go if I wanted to use it, I had to go download it from the website. So it's like if you're gonna focus on app images, you know, you should definitely give it to like for projects that are specifically releasing as app images.
0: Yeah. And Caden Live is a pretty big project. I mean that's a kind of a go to for a lot of people. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Well unfortunately I didn't get a chance this week to to have a go at it. But certainly from the way you yourself and Ryan have been talking about it, I think it, it deserves a little bit of attention. So we'll try it on some some bare metal. Nice. There you go. Um but one of the things I did get a chance to do, because I'm, I'm always interested in what this gentleman has to say, is um, Linus Torvald has had an open source summit. Um, and here are um, some of the, the highlights that he was talking about. So at the open source summit in Vancouver, Linus gave us some insights onto his views or into his views on Linux and open source. Um, now we love hearing from the creator of the kernel himself and here are some of the highlights. Now, I have read through, and it is PG friendly, so we're we're okay. <laughs> There's no lovely messages to um, Nvidia in this particular one. But what I thought was quite funny because because I used to be a bus driver is Linus is no longer worried about what happens to Linux if he gets hit by a bus.
0: How so, many people do you guys hit with buses? Yeah, um, as
1: little as possible. But there are, you
0: know,
1: <laughs> people are silly, and they forget that you know this big red thirty foot. Eight ton monstrosity can't stop on a sixpence so yeah just don't step out in front of it um, and he mentions that he's not worried about it because of the solid workflow in place now for the kernel where it isn't dependent on a single person as it once may have been so mm-hmm. I thought that was a really really important part of it and, and what did you pick up on Ryan
0: well I love that point that you brought out because Funny enough, this was an issue when I first started in Linux that I was hearing about what happens when Linus leaves. Now, Michael, when I was reading this, one was like, this has been solved for a long time. But apparently the rumor's still out there for him to address it, number one. And number two, I never heard. The conclusion that we had a solution so mm-hmm. i'm i was really happy i was like yay linux, linux continues no matter what yeah. um but michael was unimpressed so, so i
2: just not say that <laughs> I, all i said is that i i already knew that there was a, that they hadn't specifically said he hadn't come out but specifically said prior to this that that he wasn't worried but there has been multiple people who could have taken position, like Greg KH could have done it, and many others. And so that in the the process they have in place, like the infrastructure, provides that ability to like if if Linus is not there, it could be it still could be contained, like perfectly fine. So like I already knew that that was a thing, but it's really nice to see that he also agrees that it's not a big deal anymore.
0: Well, he has a lot of confidence in the team he's working with, and that's a really good thing to see, right? He doesn't; oh, yeah. he has no worries about it. The, the thing I liked here was the Spectre meltdown patching, specifically because Linus, being Linus, said the thing that makes him the most mad about this is that it's completely, and, and you know, of course, we edited this to be safe, unfair for Linux <laughs> to be the one having to do the patching for this in our kernel when it's the hardware manufacturer's that did this to us in the first place by having these so he basically they're having to do all this work to try to patch the junk work of the hardware vendors out there and you know he's not afraid to uh, hold back on any hardware vendors out there so i thought that was an interesting discussion point that they had there on that what about you
2: michael yeah i totally agree i the uh the the Spectre Meltdown thing is absolutely a hardware, like, that. It, it's a fundamental hardware failure in the sense of, like, just the infrastructure of all of the, like, the, the fact that the, every piece of hardware is pretty much covered as far as, like, being affected by this and that this, this, all the kernels and all the systems have to be, you know, playing catch up to try to mitigate all this stuff. And they're also, once they mitigate it, they still have to go back and, like, improve the mitigation because that, that all the massive performance hits that the first one's got. So like, the, yeah, it's, it's, I couldn't agree more with, uh, his statement about how it's, it's unfair and, uh, I would even go farther. It's, it's not only is it unfair, it's, it's kind of disgraceful for the, ma- the manufacturers to have this kind of an issue.
1: Mm-hmm. And the other thing that he said that, um, I quite liked cause it, it pinpoints the fact that he's more interested in getting the job done correctly. And that's where he says that he doesn't think that Moore's law of doubling every two years is applying at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And although we're we're probably happy that he, he could be wrong, his quote of performance is not really doubling every two years and that's good. It means we'll maybe go back to the time when you cared more about performance on the software side and you had to be more careful And couldn't just rely on hardware getting better. So it's a bit, I suppose it's a bit like an analogy of having a two litre engined car and making that car as efficient, as fast as possible rather than just somebody coming along and lumping in a four litre engine. So of course it's going to go faster. And for me, I think that's key to the way um, Linus Linus thinks because let's get the software written correctly rather than have somewhere somebody else provide hardware that's going to make it quicker
2: i totally agree
0: so michael and i disagreed on this point
2: no, I, did, uh, I disagreed on the quantum part that's the, the yeah point.
0: the quantum computer I, I agree number one you know computing has slowed down a little bit as far as moore's law is concerned but i i don't think we could sit here and say You know, like in the 70s, what we were dealing with processors with 2300 transistors. Now they have five billion on them Mm -hmm. plus. So, I mean, the world has changed considerably. Quantum computing is not like it's some pipe dream that doesn't exist. You've got IBM out there, Google and other companies with quantum computers. The hardest issue that they're solving, as I understand it, is a lot of cooling uh, problems as well as some software issues, because basically you have in normal computing, zero and one as single states. And in quantum computing, you could have them in the same state. That's Mm -hmm. a really simplified way of looking at it. So there is some issues that have to be overcome there of how is the software even going to adapt to those differences in states and things. But I do think quantum computing will happen in his lifetime, unless the bus, Zeb's driving a bus, um, will happen (laughs) in his lifetime. Uh, I don't know, however, it will be something that we'll have on our desktops or in a laptop um, yeah. because this is kind of going back to the, the computer that fills an entire room uh, that, that used to be, and now we have them in a laptop. This is kind of the same thing with quantum computing. When you look at the quantum computers, they look like an alien spaceship generally sitting inside of a cave with rings all over it and heat dissipations and all these things trying to get it working. Eventually they'll get it. And it's going to be a massive change in what we're able to do from a computation standpoint.
2: And I think it's probably five to 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. I, I I'd have to disagree just because uh, I think, uh, I think that it's, it's probably going to happen in, within the, his lifetime, but I don't think it's going to be in that short amount of time, just because if they were responsible, they have to make sure that the software is also like, especially the most important software is updated to be able to be used in quantum computers you're talking about windows no no no. no. so what i was referring to is like the encryption algorithms and stuff like that because Uh it it essentially would break them so Mm -hmm. if if they were to 256
0: bit encryption is five minutes if in in the theory quantum quantum computers so if Mm -hmm.
2: they if they if they create the computer like if they don't have that stuff fixed before they release these computers that would be kind of a nightmare so uh, i i don't think that that's going to be you know anytime soon it might be based on the 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 speed of you know development and stuff well, like see, that it you, could you, know, be. you take a stance and then you're like well maybe you can't do that you either take your stance that it won't be or that it will be No, no no i said i don't think it will but i'm not mm-hmm. going to make a prediction <laughs> Well, so. I'm
0: going to make a prediction 5 to 10 years the quantum computer will be turned on and the good news is the good news is Google has one that they're working on and we know that when it comes to privacy they'll be the first ones to make sure the software is is in place to make sure all of your data is yeah. private and safe.
2: It's going to be it's going to be fantastic. They'll take care yeah. of it everything. Yeah. They will it'll be safe and sound on their We're servers. All
1: good. <laughs> all good. So finally before we just leave this um, particular article I'd like to bring out One other piece. Um, I love the fact that he stole a line from one of my favorite Kevin Costner movies. If you build it, they will come. So what he was talking about there is if you can build um, a project and make sure the project works well, then developers will want to come and work for you. That's looking good for the future of Linux and the Linux kernel.
2: Yeah, I think that philosophy is fantastic if you're Linus Tarvalds and you made Linux. <laughs> yeah. If you make the biggest most important open source project known into existence, yes, that that you can definitely w- just let them come to you. But if you're a, if you're a smaller project, uh, that might not be the best approach. Just just to put that out there
0: putting an ad, yeah as a marketer that just that just drove you nuts dude yeah it
2: immediately it was like <laughs> yeah well, if you're Torvalds for sure you could say that <laughs> right mm-hmm. uh but but i think it's i think it's a it's definitely a good thing that people like should consider that they should you know just at least a little bit put it on you know maybe not github gitlab something tweet about it just something
0: yeah
1: <laughs> So, Michael, on to your um, favorite desktop environment.
0: Yes, I chose this article specifically for you, Michael. And I just can't wait to see your smile while you're talking about it.
2: I also can't wait. So let's get to it. Uh, KDE is not what I'm talking about. GNOME 330 (laughs) was released this week, and it has a lot of improvements under the hood, including some massive improvements to mutter, and reform it mm-hmm. stuff, and they fixed the, the, like, the big memory leak that they was having. Well, the, the, the garbage collection issue that they were having. It's not technically a memory leak, but, you know, it, it, it seemed like it. So, like, they, they fixed a lot of that stuff, so that's really cool. So, since you decided to uh, put this into the show, Ryan, what did you think about this one? Well, I was very excited about it, being that I've been using uh,
0: Gnome right up until this uh, recent i3 uh, Fedora installation. I've been using Gnome on Fedora. Uh, I, I've, I like Gnome on Fedora. I like Gnome period, but it's not, I, it's, well, I wouldn't say it's my favorite, right? XFCE is probably always going to be my go-to and i3, but Gnome and Fedora just is a very nice workflow of a Gnome implementation. And I love seeing these updates. I think Gnome is very important for the open source and Linux community out there and there's a lot of things in here like you mentioned fixing the memory leaks but also speed wise they have significant performance improvements by moving to the latest SpiderMonkey monkey 60 for their javascript and improvements to wayland and improvements to the usability with nautilus file manager and the most important thing we can go down this list here is there's not a single feature listed here of something removed <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Nothing has been removed as far as I can see in this release. So there Which, you go. All the critiques that Gnome gets about removing features all the time. In 3.3.0, I don't see a single can, thing being
2: removed. I love the fact that one of the the, the talking points is that they didn't remove something. <laughs> <laughs> well, in fairness, they earned that reputation a little
0: bit. Yeah, that's true. Maybe they're listening. Maybe they're listening.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, the thing I liked about this, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but it's sort of like, yeah, okay, we'll give this a go. So let's get a distribution that's got GNOME on it. And how do I upgrade to, hmm. Looks like I've got to wait for one of the distributions to decide to bring it out because it sure isn't for the average Joe just to upgrade your desktop to GNOME 3.3. So we're probably going to be looking at six months before a distro comes out with this released uh, or is that too nah, long
2: no way too long i think Fedora will have it probably in a couple of weeks yeah as far as a backports really? upgrade yeah fedora mm-hmm. will have it for a backports upgrade uh, i think arch will have it within the week OpenSUSE probably within the week as well like
1: and and will they advertise that upgrade route or will they just expect you as a linux geek to know how to do it
2: probably expect you
0: to know <laughs> <laughs> so if you do the linux from scratch we <laughs> talked about earlier zeb then this gnome
2: thing's going to be no problem for
1: us that's <laughs> right <So, laughs> I'll, I'll have this on a desktop in six months. Yep. Yeah.
2: <laughs> the, the, the rolling distros like OpenSUSE, tumbleweed will, and an arch will have it, but they'll basically just like maybe, maybe post a blog post. Arch will probably not post a blog post. It'll just be there. Um, mm-hmm. Most of them, I think Fedora might, Inform people that something's changed, but Fedora already has. They usually communicate through their Fedora magazine and other
0: things out there, so uh, they'll have it. You know, there there is a lot of cool things that they're doing here. They've upgraded GNOME disks, which a lot of people love, even if you're not a GNOME fan themselves. Mm -hmm. GNOME disks is very beloved by many. Login and lock screen improvements, which needed to happen. Uh, advanced settings, including overamplification, which is a big deal for a lot of people. I don't mm-hmm. get that. Does everybody just have crappy headphones or something? What's with the what everybody is- wants to overamplify? But I always have to keep my volume way down.
2: I have the same problem. I think it's more like there's. Uh, I mean, I have the same problem keeping it down. But I think there's there's some cases where you want to um, like there was. Let's say, for example, you're you're a podcaster by chance. And you want Ooh, to... never met one. Yeah, right? And you want to remove, like, background noise or something like that. So you want to, like, be able to hear, like, where's the, where's the parts so you want to remove and things like that. You could, I guess you could kind of use it. I, I mean, there's maybe some options, huh. but that's fun. You really mm-hmm. tried there to give me a good I example. D- I did try. I did try. Well, <laughs> well, you,
1: well here's, here's another good example. You might go onto the internet and find something to watch on YouTube. And whoever recorded it and or whoever put it up there, the audio was really low so you turn your machine up to 100 percent, and you still can't hear it so you either then go to your speaker volume and twist that up all the way or you just over amplify it mm. I
0: think, oh I you're think- talking about like people who do youtube videos and content and then they have a junky mic, and they refuse mm-hmm. to upgrade it type of yeah. people. Huh. I, have
2: no, I have no idea who you're I have referring no idea. to.
1: Yeah, I mean, who could we? No idea who you're about?
2: referring to at all. There's, there's <laughs> just, This is a mystery that will never be solved.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you use that word, because another mystery to me um, is our next article. Um, Redis Labs changes their licensing. Mm. And? what is what is redis labs and and why is it so important now i can see here that they're talking about licensing changes means that house made redis modules ready search redis graph regson rebloom and redis ml are no longer open source software so to the average joe me why should i worry about that what's so good about this Reddit. I
0: don't stuff. know that it means you should worry about it. I think what it means is it's the the reason why they changed it, I think is interesting. And I wanted to bring this forward because I think it's something that if we look at deeply and don't ignore, it's something we could potentially fix in the community with the licensing and mm-hmm. or be able to find a alternative for them. Because the reason why they left, so they apparently, they they do, Redis Enterprise does some cloud scalability, cloud servers, and database Mm -hmm. software. Mm -hmm. And this was all originally open source. And apparently it's very popular, even though I hadn't heard of it, a lot of companies were utilizing it. It's also heavily
2: Mm -hmm. used by developers.
0: So this particular one, the reason they changed is they they basically said, look, we're sick and tired of people taking our open source code, making millions of dollars off of it, using it in their own platform, renaming it and making millions of dollars with it and we get nothing back. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really interesting thing when we talk about how important open source is and how much it can change things. If you're somebody who spent a company who pays employees Every single month, all of the costs of that. If you ever run your own business, you know how much stuff mm-hmm. the costs of your, your bottom line that takes out. And you're having people develop all this code. And then you're giving it away for free. And then you're seeing your competition steal your code, rename no, they're not, it.
1: They're not then, stealing it, though.
0: Well, you know what I mean. They're taking your yeah. code, they're renaming it, making no changes, not giving you anything back. And then basically making millions of dollars off of it. That that could be a little unnerving for a company.
1: It could be, but then surely open source software, you know what you're getting into from day one. Now, for me, now that you've explained it the way you have, it very much sounds like the little boy on the football field who's not allowed to score the goal, so he picks up his ball and walks (laughs) off. Just because somebody else knew how to come up with a business plan, knew how to develop it and move... or not develop it, because they've, as you say, they've borrowed it from someone else because it's open source, so you can just take it and do what you want with it. And then they've made millions out of it. Well, don't moan about it. Go and make your own millions. Don't suddenly just turn off open source or don't get involved in the first place well the to problem me, it sounds the, like yeah go on michael
2: sorry well, i was just saying the problem with it is what you're saying is that go make your own millions they have but the fact is they're also spending the millions to develop it and make it and these people are doing nothing like they're just taking the code and benefiting from it where all the effort and the the actual like D and stuff like that is being done by this company so they're spending all this money to continue to make it but at the same mm-hmm. time this other company is like just taking it. So there was an interesting
0: conversation that Linus had. I was listening to about licensing and he was, somebody was challenging him about why he didn't like the version three of the latest uh, license. And he basically said that the whole point of version two for him was that he was going to put this out there for free. And the only caveat was you had to contribute back to it. So what you Mm -hmm. put into it, he would get back and that's all he wanted. That was mm-hmm. the most important thing for him, that if you take that code and you go do something with it, he gets to benefit then from the work that you're, you've done to that kernel and vice mm-hmm. versa. You get to benefit from him, he gets to benefit from you, that's the kind of beauty of it. In yeah. this case, and we don't know all the details, but it sounds more like they're doing all the work, somebody's just taking whatever they put out there, repackaging it, selling it, and not giving anything back. And maybe that's mm-hmm. a loophole in the license well it's it's
2: because it's because they use a specific license that allows them to do that they yeah. the bsd license is what they were typically using and the bsd license allows you to essentially just do whatever you want
1: yeah. so. and i think i think what, what linus was more on about is if you take my code and you improve it and you make it better send it back so i can have a look at what you've done mm-hmm. now these guys aren't making any improvements they're just using what you've provided
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the claim anyways. Now, the open source community, open source initiative has called it, you know, a terrible thing against software freedom. Uh, Drew DeVault, uh, another developer, says it's a big threat to open source. So there are a lot of people coming out saying this is a really bad thing. But I thought it was an interesting discussion because Mm. I'm not a licensing expert. You know, we hear about these things, but this would be, if I owned a company, would be a big concern. To your point, Zeb, you put, you made it open source, deal with it. But if somebody's not giving back, that's the whole point, and that would be frustrating. So this company has decided, right or wrong, to pull out completely. I think Michael's idea is it would have been better to have some folks from the open source community reach out and say, hey, why don't you try this other license that may give you some protection in those areas versus being on a very renegade BSD license, which is pretty much do whatever the heck you want with it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. There's
2: also some issues where like, even the even if you switch to GPL, there's still some limits that don't offer you to do certain things. Like if you were to take the software and switch it to GPL and then someone took your code and didn't technically release anything, then they could have a loophole where they don't have to provide the software or in the source code, even though they're using GPL if they don't change anything and they don't and they don't distribute that software, they do it like a cloud service or something. There's technically some like, you know, ambiguous stuff there. Uh, but I think that what you said that, uh, Zeb when you said that they, they recently is open source deal with it. They are dealing with it by removing the open source part.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is, is as as everybody has said, is a scary situation to be in because will mm. that start the, you know, the boulder rolling down the hill that nobody can stop. Well, yeah. they're,
2: they're still keeping their core, the system, their core code is still going to be BSD. So they're, they're not fully 100% going away from open source. They're just removing some pieces that they consider uh, like a fundamental necessary need. If someone wanted to do what this com- they're claiming this company is doing, they would have to build it themselves on top of mm-hmm. the core code. So it's like they're kind of doing a, a double, like not a double license, but a, a double structure.
1: Yeah, and or go back to them and say, okay, yeah, we get it, we're sorry. Can we license this from you, and we'll pay you a monthly fee or something?
2: Yeah, but I think a you... lot of companies would do like, like for example, Cute has a, a model where if you if you don't want to also release your code open source, you want to keep your code proprietary, but you you still want to you know keep it in the in the legal sense, you can pay money to Cute and they will allow you mm-hmm. to do that. So like there there are some kind of approaches that that you know they could solve it, but. Even if they were to switch licenses, there could also be some more loopholes. I, I, if there was a license that kind of, in, like, I don't know, it's so complicated to kind of, like, require people to submit code back because, like, there could mm-hmm. be different variables that make that hard. But, you know, like, maybe a committee or something where, uh, you know, like, the, the people who make the license would, have to, would require you to submit the code that you changed or even just submit the fact that you changed something and put the code anywhere you want. As long as you tell the committee like an email, you know, this has been changed or I have forked this and I'm using it for this purpose or like, and it's a distribution method. It's not like you're using it for your personal uses. You're using it to make money or mm-hmm. something like that. Then in that case, it could, maybe that could work. I'm not really sure. Uh,
0: I indented the code three lines on the 56,000th line and that's my contribution.
2: Bye. Right. So as I said, it could be, it could be problematic. <laughs> 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 So just a, it's just an idea, I guess. Well. Yeah, it's a complex thing, giving stuff away for
0: free. And mm-hmm. especially if you have, like I said, a business model based on it. I, I love that they made the decision to be open source. I love that they gained popularity. Mm-hmm. I hate that they felt the need to do this because like Michael, I think there are other licenses out there that may have given them some protection. And maybe they'll go there. Maybe this was a reaction to get it pulled in and then they'll re-release it under a different license in the future. Once I so that
2: kind of case. like, yeah, yeah, hopefully if they'll, they'll have reevaluate the possibilities and then, you know, make some changes. That'd be mm-hmm. nice. Uh, so let's, also that's keeping uh, another thing that's also looking for keeping changes and getting, a, trying to get some evaluations is uh, Ubuntu with the next version. And even the 1804 and 1810 are looking for some, some, some help with uh, team green. Uh, sorry, Ryan.
1: <laughs> we, well, Team Red doesn't need help. So. That's, that's true. That's yeah. a good
2: point. So, <laughs> if you're a member of Team Green, you can. Uh, well, if you're watching this podcast published, published the day it's published, then you can't. But uh, all of our patrons will benefit from the this patrons. But nobody will else will benefit from this one. Uh, they're, they're, they're asking for people to, or inviting, I guess you could say, for people to test 1804 and 1810 for support with NVIDIA.
0: Yeah. This is a very cool thing, right? I, so we have developers on this show all the time. And we ask them, the, we try to ask a core set of questions. One of those core questions we always ask is, what can people do to get involved? And I, I can imagine a lot of people, like when I first started in Linux, cringe at some of like, oh, help us with coding, help us with this. And so I'm always looking, what's the thing that I could actually have a talent for that I could help with? Well, this one is a really fantastic option. So Will Cook from Canonical came out and said, hey, if you have an NVIDIA card and you could do a fresh install of 18.04 and 18.10, we need you. We can help fix some of these NVIDIA issues. And even though I'm team red and don't need to do that, 70% of the GPUs out there are NVIDIA-owned or NVIDIA-based, so it's really important to get NVIDIA working right for Linux, which I care yeah. about even more than the Team Red, Team Green battle, just a little Ooh. bit more. Uh, little so bit. because of that, I love this idea. The problem mm-hmm. is we Michael and I both have TTRSS servers that pull in tens of thousands of articles every single day from every Linux source out there to that's how I write these shows and build them out. And I stole mine from Michael, but I have my own server now. But it's it's open source, right, Michael? It is. Um, Anyways, uh, that's what we use to get this. But we only got this one day ago. And Mm -hmm. by the time people get this, it's already over. So we left it in here because I think it brings an interesting point, Michael, about getting the word out.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Like This is a a great thing that they're trying to do, but they should have let people know that they were trying to do it. And uh, that's, that's kind of the problem with – if you look at a lot of the, the the news sources that have covered this particular topic, for them it's okay. But in some cases, for example, like our podcast, we be, while we're talking about it now, if your only news source is the podcast, um, you're not really going to be able to know that this existed. Because, for example, like Softpedia released an article like yesterday or day before or something like that, and they announced this on the 29th of August, a week basically a week before that those articles started being published. So there was at least a full week before of all the testing that unless you were paying attention to their discourse uh, forum, you wouldn't even notice it at all. So my suggestion would be for projects of this kind of nature, looking for input from the, from users, especially users, because a lot of people would like to, contribute to a project and they're not really sure how. So if you have a specific way that they can, that's a fantastic option and opportunity for them to do that. So you should maybe contact these different news outlets and try to coordinate it so that when you launch a project testing you know, initiative, that you also have them help you get the word out as soon as possible. Because otherwise, and in this case, when we release the episode, it'll be the day that they end the cycle for the testing.
1: Mm-hmm. And it would certainly have been something that I would have uh, liked to help on with because I'm always distro hopping and trying new things. So to put on an, a- an 1804 Ubuntu and then do whatever it was that they wanted you to do, I could have done that quite easy. Um, and I'm sure, like you pointed out, Ryan, there's hundreds of people out there who are thinking, well, how can I contribute? This would have been a really simple way to do it
0: yeah and that's what i loved about it is they picked something that was simple that anybody could do the instructions if you look out there simple you just sign up uh that you're going to do it you install fresh 18.04 18.10 you send them the results anybody could have done this anybody could participate at any skill level within linux this is a way to get a lot of people kind of into that excitement of contributing. You just need to give us a little bit longer window so we can get the news out to people because mm-hmm. this is a really important one too. Because getting Nvidia right, like I said, is seventy percent of your computers out there currently. Although AMD is going to completely destroy Nvidia soon, uh, but currently at seventy percent. So I, I, it was it's an important thing that you want to get right within Linux, and this could have been a really cool way to get that.
1: So in a roundabout way there, Ryan, did you say that Team Green is 70% and Team Red is 30%?
0: Yeah, but it's about to change, Zeb. Yeah, that is that Moore's Law says AMD is about to overtake <laughs> NVIDIA. Oh,
1: so exactly. now you agree with Moore's Law. Yeah, now
0: I agree. Well, no, I've always agreed with Moore's Law.
1: Yeah, well,
0: Well, let me tell you something you're going to absolutely love, Zeb.
1: No, but before you get there, though, okay. this is one thing that Moore's Law doesn't apply to what's that the next topic
0: oh come on this is a perfect example of moore's law because this shows how far linux has come along in gaming (laughs) stop laughing zeb sorry you're next you've got a good one too to cover so (laughs) zombie panic source is a game that's coming to linux this has everything you would want zeb it has 3d graphics uh, it has zombies, it has guns, it shoots things that don't look like circles, like you complain about. I, I really went and hunted high and low to find a game that met all of your qualifications here. It's a survival horror game. People love the zombie apocalypse uh, apocalypse theme, like The Walking Dead, all of that. Well, you get to play somebody in a zombie apocalypse, taking guns, killing zombies. What's not to love here, Zeb? Why did you snicker?
1: Well, I think it sort of comes up with the old marks you used to get at school. This would be a C. Brackets must try oh, harder. How
0: dare you? How <laughs> dare you? I'll tell you what. What do you think, Michael?
2: I'm gonna. I mean, I'm gonna be to take the safe thing and go right in the middle and give it like a B, B plus. Oh
0: my gosh! You guys haven't even played it. Well, I haven't played it. It does look good. It does look good. That's zombie. why I can't
2: give it a. That's why I'm giving it my first, my first look opinion of. It, could, it looks good, uh, whether the, like, I'm kind of like, the zombie thing is like, it's been done to death in every game. Mm-hmm. It's it, true. It's, that is true. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's kind of like, you have to be doing something in, like really innovative for me to care about a zombie game. Uh, and the same thing happens with Battle Royale, too. <laughs> it's in everything. Yeah.
1: So the good thing for me about this was the, the, the source of information you gave me. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to waste my time watching a video because there wasn't one. <laughs> and then blow me down before we did the podcast if you didn't show me a video that I had to watch.
0: I want you to really understand how beautiful this game is.
1: Mm. Okay.
0: And What did you think when you watched the video?
1: Yeah, so the good news this week is that there's only <laughs> one game review. That's not so, true, Zab. But let's move on to the tips and tricks of the <laughs> <world. laughs> week. We're not ready for yeah, that. There's you at least one more. We picked a game specifically for you to review
0: and you owe it to our listeners to review it, Zeb. Easy.
1: F. Next. Because <laughs> you've got to convince me why this is more than an... And You do this to me deliberately. I know you do. <laughs> no! So, yes, you do. No. You find the most appalling possible game that you could ever put out there and make me watch it and make me, make me view it. Listen,
0: I want our um, listeners to understand how this works. You know, I, when I write the episodes, when we're done and we do the review and choose which stay in, news stores, sources, blah, 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 I then go in line by line, Michael, Zeb, Ryan, and assign articles. It just so happens every week you get a picture. <laughs> it and, oh, just, it it so, just so happens. Like, yeah. it, it's, it's a mathematical mystery. Yeah.
1: Well, what, what I find really astonishing about this um, is – the, the game people, and I know they're trying to sell it, but they talk about a delightful progression. Be responsible for your own encampment. Now, I'm looking at the encampment, and it looks like a dirty smudge that is supposed to be trees. <laughs> there's two white bits that Happy I think are tent. Happy
2: little trees, right? And then
1: there's a little flamey bit. Which Happy little pixels. Be. And it's like, it's like a painting that a three-year-old has drawn. Yeah, it's just... <laughs> And, and they want you to pay money for this. <laughs> so you really have to be in to this type of game. And, it, and it's also one of those games where it isn't 3D, it's 2D. Uh-huh. But it's, it's, it's 2D in a really bad way, I'm sorry. This this is as bad as Doggy Festa.
0: Listen, I know Paul will have my back on this one. <laughs> I know Dark One's going to have my back on this one. These games can turn out to be absolutely amazing. I haven't played this. It's called RPG Mana Spark. Well, it's called Mana Spark. It's an RPG out there that has procedurally generated dungeons. So it's a dungeon crawler out there. It's very skill-based. They even do some comparison to kind of Dark Soulsy. So you got to go around, level up your character, get the right equipment, then go try to figure out how these bosses attack. You're probably going to die a lot trying to figure that out. But uh, figure out how they attack, master it, be able to beat it. Very, very challenging. Lots of progression opportunities there. You know, crafting items, that type of stuff. And you're never going to see the same dungeon over and over again which makes it cool even if you die because when you go back, things are going to be changed out a little bit and you may find some new items or skills, uh, level up, and things that will be able to help you. These are really fun games. And I know you don't like the pixelated games. But let's say you have a low powered laptop. You're sitting on vacation mm-hmm. on the beach. Who wants to sit on the beach? It's boring. It's just water and waves and crap and people around. You pull out your laptop, which isn't beautiful. very yeah. powerful. And you play some mana spark and you're happy.
2: Yeah, it's good. It's it's also Ooh. you get to you you can avoid the death rays of the sun.
0: Yeah, and then people won't talk to you because your face is in a laptop and that makes the vacation that much better.
1: <laughs>
0: well
2: <laughs> That's a good way to look I, at it, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think I think next week before we actually do the live show, I'm gonna swap around who does what game. <laughs> no,
0: you cannot. That's my responsibility,
1: yeah. Zeb. No, 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 no. I'm gonna, <laughs> i'm good as the elder on the show i'm going to gazump you
0: it's going to be hard to swap when i'm going to make every game a pixelated one all right on to the tips and tricks of the week so fresh off of our fedora interview which people love by the way that's just received a ton of amazing comments so thank yep. you guys for that because when you leave those awesome comments and that feedback and support it not only helps us but it also makes other developers and the developer that came on the show feel really good about it and want to come back so Thank you guys for doing that. Very much. Um, So absolutely fantastic feedback. So fresh off of that, the tip of the week I want to give is Fedora-based and it's utilizing DNF history in the terminal. Now, this is one of the first things that blew me away about Fedora. I loved DNF history. It's built Mm -hmm. in right from scratch. You just type in DNF history and it's going to provide you a list of all of your transactions and commands with the dates and times when you use them and the packages that were affected by any changes that you made. So if you start having an issue and you need to roll something back or you need to um, remove assist, downgrade, erase, install, obsolete a package, reinstall package, you can't remember what command you're using like me when I'm struggling to get some i3 thing running and I'm adding in different things to try to get it to do what I want and I forget which package it is that I need to add into my installer script this is something that I use DNF history to be able to see, oh, that's the command and that's the package. Let me grab that and put that in here. It's just a very awesome, convenient tool built in to Mm -hmm. Fedora.
1: And I think it would be good if some of the other um, desktops or distros did this type of thing, because on a forum type of view, one of the most difficult things to get out of people is, well, what did you do to cause this problem? the guys in fedora can simply say oh just do us a favor do us a dnf history and send it to you know bin or something and then they control through and go, ah what you did wrong was you did this this and this mm-hmm. so undo that and then put that back on exactly. that's, yeah. that's very difficult to find out um in other uh, distros unless you start sort of searching dconf and um, apt cache and all sorts of other weird and dark dungeonous places <laughs> of of a distro so yeah that looks that looks pretty amazing.
0: Speaking of dungeon, have you heard of the game ManaSpark, Zeb?
1: <laughs> um, it was mentioned briefly, but the I guy brought it back around. The, <laughs> That's the guy coming. thankfully glossed over to move to <laughs> tips and tricks, which are far more interesting.
0: <laughs> All right, well, give us a tip and trick there, Zeb.
1: So, another tip that you can use, which works on any distro supporting sudo, is using sudo space exclamation mark exclamation mark Mm -hmm. and what this will do is how many times have you been at the terminal and you've typed out this really long demanding command only to realize you forgot to put sudo on the front of it?
0: 35 times a day (laughs) honestly
1: (laughs) you hit enter and it goes "Eh, eh, you need permissions to do XYZ well now all you need to do is go sudo exclamation mark exclamation mark hit enter and it runs the command as if you would put sudo on front of it so that's just awesome so how long has this been out there Michael
2: uh, quite a long time. It's this it's, made me so mad when yeah. you showed it. When when it showed up on the sheet,
0: <laughs> it was as mad as I was at the other tip that you guys gave, which a lot of people didn't know about as well uh, with the screens. But this is one of those things I do constantly. Like I'll be following some guide. I need to type in this long command and get it done. I hit enter. You needed to be sudo. Now normally I hit the up arrow. I hit the home key, and I put sudo in front of it. But this is even quicker. And then, Michael, you, like, made my life uh, even easier by saying you could make an alias with it.
2: Yeah. My my favorite process, the thing is, is what I do is I create an alias for this. So instead of, you know, doing the, like, the, the, the bang bang is actually really cool. That's exclamation programming, bang bang. Anyway. Um, All right. Okay, cool. Yeah. So th- that's just a uh, bang is an exclamation. There's another right. tip for you. Yeah, there you it's go. It's
1: not an exclamation mark. Like. It's called a bang bang. Well, that's,
2: <laughs> it's, exclamation is called bang. That's where crunch bang got its name anyway.
1: Ah, okay. um,
2: so holding holding shift and then hitting the key is is a little bit uh, slower than what i do is just type in please and then it's done please <laughs> I, love <laughs> I, love it. <laughs> I love it yeah, yeah. I, w- I i might put something like darn it
1: oh, and That
0: way it's every time i mess up i gotta type darn it and then it would you know has the alias there
2: or something <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, something like that yeah so yeah. Ne- next up in the show is the software spotlights And this week, we have a spotlight that I am a big fan of. I've used this quite a lot, and that is meld or Mm. meld merge type thing. So basically what it is, is a, if there's a diff command that shows you the difference between some a file and another file. Where MELD is a graphical user uh, interface structure that allows you to do the same thing, but not only for files, you can do it for directories and see whether this one directory has this file or the difference between the files in directories, and you can do it all recursively. It's it's a really, really cool application that I use quite a lot. Um, and there's also another one i like to mention, and that would be uh, Compare with a K
0: wait now I'm familiar with meld but compare with a K who could have possibly made that
2: application? I
1: I know who is it it was your favorite people <laughs> gnome
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay so actually uh gnome makes meld so <laughs> but KDE <laughs> happened to be making the compare oh, with, a K. with the K wow. but to be fair this is one of the few times where the K actually is fun because it's like it's searchable like it's nicely oh, it's so searchable. Fun. Okay. I told
0: my wife about it and we just party. Okay.
2: <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, so compare. Also, there's also another one called KDIF3, which essentially does the same thing, but compares more up to date and more maintained. Anyway, with that said, I would point out that um, MELD is the better option in my opinion. Yeah. So if you're wanting to compare
0: files now, uh, somebody's doing scripting and things. Um, this is a really great tool to utilize for comparing changes that people are recommending for scripts. Like Mm -hmm. a GitHub has an option like this built in, but if you were to pull those files down and wanted to do a comparison, you could use a thing like meld or see changes between, you know, two different versions of any file that you're doing, if it's documents for work or anything Mm -hmm. else and having that GUI there makes it really easy to do.
2: Yeah. So, also if you haven't have duplicates on your like your system you make a backup and you forget like where 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 something back is or like you want to compare like an old file to the like the new version of that file it's it's that can come out come in handy quite a lot so I, i use meld almost every other day or so so it's it's a it's a great tool nice
1: nice excellent well ladies and gentlemen that brings us to the end of another show um so really good show this week. I enjoyed it. There was lots of information and there was some marvelous games. I can't wait until next week um, when I'm sure you'll find another bright spark for me to have a look at. You're welcome.
0: Well, I want to give a big thanks to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching, listening, however you do it. And Zeb, how can people get a hold of us if they want to send more comments? Because they felt threatened by you with uh, the, you know, sending their
1: life story in. Well, I'm sure that was more the, more the um, Google Translate than me actually <laughs> intimidating people. I mean, look at this friendly face. Come on, guys. Yeah. Yeah. But either way, you will send emails to <laughs> comments at destinationlinux.org, um, our Telegram group, Discord, Google Plus, and Twitter. And if you go to destinationlinux.org forward slash contact then you can find other methods by which to and i know i say it every week but i really do mean it send us your send us your email send us your comments we find them really enjoyable and some weeks we really have difficulty in picking the one email to mm-hmm. talk about because you're, you're actually starting to to send in some really interesting stuff so please keep it up
2: absolutely
1: to keep up michael
2: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely uh you need to also keep up the uh, liking the smash button that's very helpful it it, it helps the, uh, the youtube let people know that we exist that's nice and also feel free to subscribe to the podcast if you're if you're not if you listen to the if you watch the video or you listen you want you have the audio version we have an audio podcast as well that you can find on the website and also if you'd like to experience the show live you can join us in the the zoom chat for the becoming a patron by going to destinationlinux.org/patreon and you can, you can find out more there. And also, uh, be sure to rate and review the, uh, the, sh- the show and whatever podcast app you, you use. That also
1: helps us a lot. Excellent. Thanks very much indeed. So that just leaves me to say, everybody have a great week. And remember that the destination itself can be just as unpredictably ephemeral as the journey. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Destination Linux podcast.
0: You guys can unmute your mics, turn on your cameras, chat with us if you want. If not, it's probably because Zeb scares you. (laughs) (laughs) I love, Zeb, how you added in there impromptu. You will send us... You will.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You ready? Go. Just doing my yoga breathing. Yeah, oh, I know. You're not going to get me. You're not going to get me. <laughs> Wiggly line bit for Michael.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, that helps him a lot.
1: The, that, the journey itself is
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's just as important.
1: And remember that the destination itself can be just as unpredictably ephemeral as the journey. And I will need to record that again because I'm much more <laughs> <up to> unpredictable. <laughs> I know. And remember that the destination itself can just be... No, did it wrong again. (laughs) I can't even read what I've typed here. This is ridiculous. And remember that the destination itself can be just as unpredictably ephemeral as the journey. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Third one. Lucky. Nailed it, man.